let's dive in and make a start. Um, you might have noticed my voice is slightly different. I'm uh, suffering from a cold. Thank you. That's the desired effect I wanted. I have taken lateral flows. We're all good in the hood. Um, just as we were worshiping the Lord, this is kind of a, a preamble to what I do have prepared uh, this morning, but it does really tie into what we're going to be sharing. Is a really strongly felt like God is just inviting us into friendship with Him, and it's like it's like this offer of a friend like we've never had before. So for those of us who have friends and good friends, maybe lifelong friends, you know the depth and the meaning and the what you gain and what you give in that kind of friendship. And it's that and more. For those of us, maybe this morning, you come and there's a sense of loneliness, a sense of no one really seems to get me. No one seems to understand what I'm really going through. Or perhaps, just through circumstance, these last number of months, we have retreated into ourselves and we have not given of ourselves in a relationship, in a friendship, in some kind of way. That's not meant to sound condemnatory, if there is such a word. Um, but God is just inviting us to friendship, friendship with him, to do life together, to share in all that he has and all that he offers. And we'll, the, the, the end of what I have to say sort of lands that. But I just thought, you know, that's that's what he offers. That's that's what it's about. Yes, he is Lord and Savior. Yes, let's not make this an irreverent kind of statement. But his invitation, it's always invitation. It's invitation to walk closely to him. To listen to his still, small voice. To obey his leading. He's not afraid to have the awkward conversation with us. We're afraid often to hear what he has to say. But actually, often what he has to say to us is loving, it's kind, it's wonderful, it's life-giving. And his offer is invitation to his friendship. And I want to pray that, and then we will dive into the rest of what I have. So let's just, uh, let's just spend a moment just sort of responding, really, to him. Jesus, we... We respond to your invitation, the invitation of friendship, to, like those early disciples, follow you, walk alongside you, journey with you. And so, whoever we are, no matter where we find ourselves, just say yes. We say yes to your invitation to walk closely, to, like in any friendship, spend time with you.
Folks, if you're our guest this morning, you are super welcome. Uh, if you are uh, part of our church and this is your first time back, you are super welcome. And the rest of you, you're also welcome. Um, we continue. Uh, we're week three of a number of weeks course. Oh, course. Uh, um, uh, what do we call this? Series. Thank you. Uh, called Believe, where we're looking at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this incredible, unique relationship between the Trinity. And we find this in the chapters of John 14 through to John 17. It's known as the farewell discourse. It's the period of time, hours before Jesus' death. And it begins, and we've looked at chapter 14 over the last two weeks, and we're beginning to dive into uh, chapter 15 this week. But it's this conversation that Jesus begins at the Last Supper. They've eaten, they've drank, they've shared communion. Uh, Judas has left the scene. He's gone to betray Jesus. And uh, Jesus is left with the 11. He has this most incredible conversation. It's these final words. I said on week one, imagine you had hours to live. Who would you spend your time with and what would you say? What would the conversation be around? And this conversation is what Jesus chooses to have with the disciples. And so far in 14, uh, he's talked about his unique relationship with the Father, how Jesus only did what the Father was telling him to do. And Jesus only did what he did through the authority and the unique relationship that he had with the Father. And he begins to uh, talk about the Holy Spirit. He uses the word advocate, which we spoke about last week. The advocate meaning the sent one. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, would remind us and teach us in Jesus' pre preparation for leaving the disciples. He's saying, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send another, another advocate who's the Holy Spirit. And then he begins to unpack the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and us as believers. To begin with the disciples, but to us and millions of others uh, since. And so at the very end of chapter 14, Jesus says these five words, come now, let us leave. And so the beginning of this conversation has ended. It's at the end of chapter 14, and we assume they make the walk uh, down the valley and up into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where Jesus would spend agonizing hours later. And we assume here on the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus uh, continues to have this conversation, which thank uh, John for documenting it and writing it down so that we get to read it today. This uh, eavesdrop on this intimate conversation that he has. John 15, we're going to read 17 verses. And again, this is the moment when I prompt the non-auditory learners, tune in the brain and try and stick with it as I read it and the words will be there. Jesus says these words, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might bring forth fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love. If you've ever been a guest in our home, you will uh, notice that in our front garden, we have this, uh, we have a tree. Well, tree is kind of elaborating on the truth. It's, uh, we bought a tree. It is a, it, it is a tree, dear. It's a tree that we bought on our fifth wedding anniversary because it's wood, isn't it? Wood is like the, the thing that's synonymous with five-year anniversary, and we thought, oh, let's buy a tree. That would be nice. We're married 21 years, and in 16 years, it's grown about an inch. That is no joke. It still has the wooden stakes that you buy the tree with to make sure in the hurricane winds that we were having last night, it still stays upright. That's not a joke. But the branches have tended to grow over the years, and they kind of get a bit scrawly, and uh, it just, it just, I don't know. I'm looking at Chantel. She's giving me those looks. I, it looks like it needs a bit of tender, loving care. And sometimes the branches kind of deviate off to the side to where our driveway is. And sometimes I have to trim back the branches just to get into the car. It doesn't grow up, it just grows out. And so I get the secateurs out and I give a snip here and a snip there. And I don't really give it much thought. I don't really kind of look at it and go, oh, that branch looks like, oh, that could really look nice. I just trim them from a practical point of view. But guess what happens? They flip and grow. They grow again. They have to do it every year. And what I have noticed over the 16 years of this weary-looking tree is year by year, the fruit that grows on it, I forgot to tell you, it's an apple tree. Although the apples literally are like large cherries. They're not, they're not even worthy of notice the more that you trim them the more that you trim the branches the more fruit or the more apples grow on them and I'm no Percy Thrower or Charlie Dimmock right but that's what I think this part of this context Jesus is using metaphor again as he so often did brilliantly he goes to say that he is the vine a great vine a vine that which would have been synonymous then and still is today, 
vines which would grow grapes, most of them probably used towards the manufacture and making of wine. Jesus says that his father is the gardener and that the father cuts off branches that bear no fruit at all, whereas the branches that do bear fruit he prunes so that they'll be even more fruitful. What's the difference between cutting off and pruning? Well, you know, if you have a branch and there's actually nothing on it that's growing, well, there's no point keeping it if it's just going to draw nutrients and water and all the rest from it, and it just gets cut off. Whereas those that get pruned, um, uh, those that do grow fruit, it's important to cut it in such a way that it becomes even more fruitful. Um, I mentioned two or three weeks ago, during my gap year, I went to Israel, and uh, part of what I did, I worked in a date plantation. There were literally 2,000 trees in rows, just row upon row upon row. If you've ever been to a hot country, you've seen a palm tree, a synonymous palm tree, big, tall uh, trunk, and then the branches that kind of come up. That's a palm, that's a date tree. And my job during the months of February through to April was to get the pods ready for um, for them to be, uh, I was going to say fertilized, that's not the right word, pollinized. Po- yeah, for the, for the male trees, no joke, this is what happens. Male trees and females, the female trees are the ones that bear fruit, but they need to be pollinated by the male trees. And what we did, literally, were, I was 19 years of age, we were driving all this mechanical stuff, this cherry pickers, they're called, and this other thing that brought us right up high into the trees. And again, with secateurs, we were told to cut the pods where the pods go out of and trim, prune the pods. Each pod would carry maybe 100 to 200 prunes on each one. And we were told to cut them in half, literally, because the 50 or 60 would become even bigger prunes and they would be more valuable and uh, just, just worth more. It's important in this context that uh, what Jesus is saying, those branches which are fruitful are pruned to become even more fruitful. He goes on and makes it really clear. We're the branches. We are the branches. And Jesus' invitation to us is to remain in him. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is the invitation into relationship with Jesus. For many of us, you've been a Christian for years. You know this story well. And you know what it speaks of. And you know how to apply it. At the age of 48, I've had many friendships along the way. I've lived here now uh, 20-something years, and there are many friendships that I used to have once upon a time that I no longer have. I am no longer in relationship with friends that I used to journey life. Therefore, their influence in my life, either good or bad or indifferent, is no longer there. Jesus invites us to remain in relationship with him to remain a branch connected into the vine which is him if we choose no longer to be in him the result in bearing no fruit Jesus goes on 
And he says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. These words are weighty. They're honest. They're true. If we're in regular relationship with Jesus, seeking his face, seeking his presence, reading his word, spending time praying, folks, we have a wonderful opportunity this week to prayer and fasting. It is not necessarily an invitation to give up food for the whole day. That's like a two-meter bar. That's a high jump kind of metaphor here. That's a two-meter. If you want to do that, brilliant. Go for it. It's possible. You can go for days without food. But if that just seems too high, well, then lower the bar. Skip lunch. Skip social media for the day. Put your phone. Do something that you withdraw from, that you do without in such a way that you seek his face, that you abide in him, listening to his voice, obeying his word. Guess what happens? We live a fruitful life, a life that is content, is joyful, is peaceful. All of the fruits of the spirit, which we read in Galatians. We become the very person that God has made us to be. We live a life that's fulfilling and lives beyond ourselves. We see God's kingdom come and we leave a legacy behind us so that when we go, there is something to show for our lives and what we did with the talents that God had entrusted to us. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we're apart and we're severed, we cannot bear fruit. We cannot bear this stuff. We will not experience life like it. And I don't know about you, but the days in the everyday stuff, the days when I'm intentionally spending time with him, seeking his face, whatever it might be, those days tend to go better than if I don't. And that's not to say that life is brilliant and it's all rosy in the garden and having a fantastic time. Life could be very difficult, very stressful on that day. But the day I've spent time with him is the days, they're the days that go well and life just seems to go well. And I notice in my life, the more I remove myself, the more like Peter did later, the more when Peter walked away from the Lord, as he kept his distance, when Jesus was arrested after the Garden of Gethsemane, G Peter stood at a distance. When we stand at a distance from Jesus, we, like Peter, are more likely to deny him. We are more likely to walk away and sin and become selfish and become more anxious and become more fearful. If we persist in our walking away over time, deliberately, the warning that Jesus gives is pretty stark. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Our concern, our main concern during COVID in terms of leading a church was all of our walk with Jesus. Not that we can be responsible for anyone else's walk. We can only be responsible for our own. But that was one of our main concerns. And, and I don't know if you noticed, if you're part of our church, but so much of what we taught on the Sunday, all the, all the times in front of a camera or in front of an iPhone, or all the times that Chantelle was constantly pasting, posting stuff on Facebook, the different ways we tried to connect and try to reach out, many of it was about 
how we can continue to walk with Jesus, abiding in him, spending time with him, just trying to encourage us to do that. As we return to this new norm of uh, in a different space, sitting out, it's lovely to see so many here. There's lots of empty chairs, and that's just part and parcel of having to distance and all the rest. As we continue to gather as a body again, which is so wonderful, we've so missed it. It was inevitable that some would not return. Some have left and have gone to other churches, and that's okay. That's uh, clearly the leading of the Lord. That's wonderful, and we bless that. There are some of you who are new to our church, and you are so welcome. There's some of you who are uh, coming, and you're checking us out and thinking, goodness, is this the kind of people that I want to journey and do life with? And, and again, you're so welcome, and we'd encourage you, go before the Lord and do what he says. If, if we're to be the place, then wonderful, come on in. If we're not, then, then God bless you. Go find the place that God's called you to be. Our concern at this time is the reality that many will not return to church. That's not just our church, that's the church of Jesus, right across the land, right across the world, that there will be some who've gotten so out of the habit of coming to church and connecting with the people of God that they will never return to church. And hear me clearly, when we're talking about this, we're not, when we're talking about abiding or remaining in him, we're talking about remaining in relationship with Jesus. We're not talking about remaining in the body of Christ, the church. But you know, many of you know, that there is often a strong correlation between the intentionality of doing life with other believers. And part and parcel of that is coming to church. It is making the effort, and it is um, choosing to do that. Skipping a bit further, um, some other verses. The Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Again, we hear this Trinitarian language, the unique relationship that the Son has with the Father. Jesus is saying, I have received love from my Father. That same love I've received from him, I've given, I've demonstrated and shown to you. His invitation is to remain in my love. It's a choice. We don't earn it. We don't earn his love. It's already there. We don't gain more of his love. We don't gain more of his affection by who we are and what we do. It's already there. Listen to the different types of mindset when it comes to this. We don't obey his commands or keep his commands to earn his love or attain his love. That's the law. That's what the, uh, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, became guilty of, is by so trying to do the very commandments that, that God had given to them that they'd missed the relationship and the friendship that God was offering to them. Instead, we keep his commands and obey his voice because by following these ways of living, we remain in the love that he has for us. Jesus further expands on it. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one but he lay down his life for one's friends. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. 
Jesus in his parting. Remember, he's soon to go. He's saying to his disciples, love each other. Indulge with me for a moment. I haven't mentioned it for at least two weeks. But the chosen, if you have no idea what people are laughing at, download it. It's a free app. It's absolutely brilliant. It talks about the life of Jesus in the most incredible way. And what I, there's so many brilliant things I could talk about, but one of the many things is the unique relationship that the disciples have with each other. And it portrays this brilliant, brilliant interaction between Peter and Matthew. Peter hates Matthew's guts because of Matthew's prior uh, vocation as a tax collector. And, and you just see it. You see Jesus sends Peter and Matthew on an errand together. And whether it happened, because it's not actually in the book, but you can imagine that it happened. You can imagine the two of them going off, Peter, you need to learn something here. So go hang out with Matthew. I'm tasking you, go into that village and go do this, that, and the other. He's like, why have I got to go with Matthew? Why? Because there's a learning that's going to take place by your interaction. We're called to love one another. We're called to love one another. I love it. I look out here. It's all different backgrounds, different ages. We've come from different contexts. The body of Christ is wonderful. It's the demonstration to the world of what love should look like through the interactions that we have with one another. You might be coming here going, goodness, these, these people seem great. They're wonderful. They're so hospitable. They're so kind. They talk spend long enough with us, you'll realize there's going to be people that annoy you. In church, there's going to be people that wind you up. They just get on your nerves. When they do, oh, I don't like that. People leave churches because of what someone said. That happens. It's happened lots of times in, in our time. But that should not, that, sh that does happen, and that will happen and will always happen calls us to love each other regardless. Regardless. And we have to learn to figure it out. We have to learn to not necessarily be best friends, but to still demonstrate love for one another. Jesus' bar is high when he commands his disciples, love one another. Jesus didn't choose 12 disciples who were exactly the same. There were perhaps seven of them that were fishermen. But there was Matthew. God love him, he was on his own as the tax collector. There was Simon, who was the zealot. The zealot was from uh, the street, kind of strict religious sect um, that was that verged on, the, on the, the, the side of violence. Then there were some others that were, were not quite sure what they did. But the point is this. Jesus didn't choose just the same. He chose lots of people from different backgrounds look around us this morning. It's all about modeling. Everything with Jesus, it was about modeling. This is what it looks like. This is my command. Love each other. And then he says, uh, greater love has no man, but he laid down his life for others. And hours later, of course, he goes and does that. From these words of loving one another, we get the opportunity, don't we, to instruct and, and 
passed down to our children and children's children these wonderful words of the preferring of one another, washing one another's feet, seeking the best for each other, treating others in the way in which we would like to be treated. I am going on quite long. Let's see how much we've got. Hang on. Let me see that. Last couple of points. Jesus says some incredible words to the 11 that are left. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. It's nearly like a graduation moment. Quite interesting that it's three years. Three years that they've spent together. They've apprenticed themselves under this rabbi, Jesus. And Jesus says to them, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Why? Because you know my father's business. Why? Because you know me. Because of what we read last two weeks. If we know Jesus, we know the Father. We know the Father's business. You are almost an equal in my Father's business because we are friends. We are coming into land. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus reminds the disciples that they are the chosen. And notes that Jesus did invite many others to follow him, but many declined. But for those who said yes to his invitation to follow him, his invitation was to go and be fruitful, to live fruitful lives. So as they love one another and they love the lost, that they would see his kingdom come. Jesus, 50 days later, goes to be with the Father. Having died and rose again, he descends to be with the Father. The 11 remaining disciples and the other one that they uh, appointed after a game of cards or dice or whatever it was, it wasn't that bad, it was cool and facetious. It was a little bit of a lottery how they picked them, but anyway, those disciples went on and they called others to follow him, to be followers of the way. They planted churches. They wrote books that we get to read today. Their lives were fruitful, and they lived surpassed them themselves. And God is inviting us to do similar. There are three things that I think from this incredible passage he's inviting us into. The first is to remain in him, to abide in him, to remain in his love. The second, and we haven't really touched on this, is to allow ourselves to be pruned. I would say these past couple of years, there's been some pruning going on. There's been some cutting away uh, the things that we put our hope and our trust in. And we have been forced into situations that we would not have chosen for ourselves. And we have had the opportunity to lean in more into friendship with Jesus, that we might grow and develop and deepen in our love and affection with him. And then thirdly, as we do the first, as we remain in his love, as we allow him to prune us, we will bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
Jesus is going, but his feet would continue to be uh, born, bared, whatever, um, through his disciples. Folks, we're in the process of rebuilding church. It's, uh, that's where we're at. It's, uh, it, we, we've, we've weathered a storm. Who knows what's to come? If we read the media, we could be into a bit more of a rocky winter. We just don't know. We continue to trust in him. We continue to live with uncertainty. Look, regardless, God is in the build is in the building. God is in this period of time with our church life in a process of rebuilding. We're inviting you, followers of Jesus, those of you who are not followers of Jesus, to come follow, to to come and help us rebuild, rebuild, not rebuild necessarily church, but to continue to labor that we would see his kingdom come. His kingdom coming is very different to a church being established. The church is the vehicle. The kingdom is what will last. What has God entrusted to you? What has he spoken to you about? Perhaps he's calling you uh, to really be an evangelist, to see people come to know him. Perhaps he's really laid upon your heart uh, to bring uh, those who are in addiction and all manner of different troubles to, to, to release those captives. Perhaps he's burdened you, given you a heart for children that they would know that they are loved, for the anxious that they would have peace. Perhaps God has spoken to you about business and job opportunities. Uh, for creative, innovative products and services to better people's lives, to, to engage with people of different nationalities that they would feel like they belong. Goodness, it's not in the notes, but I look around Carrick Fergus. There are people from all number of nationalities that God, or that they've come to us in some shape or form. We're called to love. We're called to care to see significant changes in our justice system, to continue to break down the barriers between Protestants and Catholics. Where is it that God is inviting you into? What part of life is he um, entrusting to you to go and do? We want to live fruitful lives both now, but also fruit that will last, a legacy. What are we building today? What are we doing with our lives? That God, what the, the five talents, whatever God's given us, what are we doing with that that is going to benefit other people around us and generations to come? God invites us to be friends with him, that we would give away the lives that we have.